I really wanted to create a food company that was, you know, providing healthy, convenient food for people in a time when, you know, I'm, I'm very angry with how our big food companies have, you know, just poisoned folks for, for lack of a better word. Hello and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Silverwood, and our guest on the podcast today is Courtney Boyd-Myers, otherwise known as CBM, who's the co-founder and the CEO of Akua. Now, we know how much our Ocean Impact Organization community loves podcasts about seaweed. We see that in the metrics, and this is another one. So, Courtney and the team at Akua have been pioneering how to tap into kelp or sea greens, as they like to call them, as new healthy food sources to feed the planet. Their product range started with kelp jerky back in 2017 that launched with a successful crowdfunding campaign. And they've since evolved the business to look at the non-meat burger industry. So the first ever kelp burger has been launched by Akua. It launched with a crowd equity raise that was over a million dollars, very successful. And they're now getting their product into supply chains across the US. And I dare say the world is set to follow. Very exciting to talk to these guys over Instagram Live and get a glimpse at Courtney's unique career and where this innovative startup is heading next. Quick update on the Ocean Impact Pitch Fest. Less than one week to go. So if you've applied and you're working on your pitch video, just make sure you've submitted that by Tuesday the 28th of September 2021. If you haven't applied yet, still time. Just make sure you get a wriggle on. Doesn't mean it's going to be that long until we actually start to share with you the shortlisted finalists. That will become available on the 12th of October. So stay tuned for that. And obviously, winners announced on the 4th of November, 2021. Thanks for everyone who's supported the campaign, who's sent in their submissions, who've shared it around. It is going to be an absolutely cracking result this year. Thanks as always for tuning in to the Ocean Impact Podcast. Good morning, CBM. Hi, Hi guys. CBM. <laughs> How are you going? Yeah, I'm really well. How are you? I'm doing well. I was rambling on a little bit there while we were waiting for you to join. It tends to get a little bit uh, you know, stressful, but we're here. We've got you. Okay. Yeah, I haven't done live in a while. Sorry about that. I was like waiting for <laughs> an invite, but yeah, I'm here now and it is uh, evening, just winding down the day in New York City. New York City, Thursday evening, 9th of September, coming up to a very significant date uh, for everyone in New York City in a couple of days' time. Yeah, I actually can see the World Trade Center from my apartment, and it was so beautiful last night. They had the two, or this whole week, I think they've had the two lights coming where the towers were, and there was an eclipse behind it. There was, it was so stunning, and I was watching it with a few other people, and I live in a very... Um, like mixed culturally neighborhood and then last night like this kind of middle-aged mom was walking by with her kids and was like that's just a hoax they're trying to get aliens to come down kids you just remember everything you learn in america is a sham and i was just like 
Whoa. It was so intense. And like me and all these other people were there, like kind of observing like what a tragedy this had been. And yeah, it was just very weird. So we live in a crazy world. <laughs> crazy world in a relatively crazy city. Uh -huh. You're really, you know, you're a global soul, right? You've got a very, very eclectic uh, history of places that you've lived and, and cultures that you've experienced. So you've obviously found the last 18 months um, pretty interesting, challenging. Tell us a little bit about the last uh, 18 months for you. Yeah, grounding. <laughs> um, yeah, so my, my husband's French. We live part of the year in South Africa where he has an ice cream business. And I met him in Europe and we, you know, always really enjoy the European lifestyle. Um, he's, he's very like anti-consumerism and parts of the United States in that sense really bother him. Like the amount of Amazon packages I have showing up or like just how many brands are doing this and that. And, and yeah, so we spend a good amount of time outside of the United States, but obviously with Akua being based in the U.S., I'm here a lot. And so it was great during the pandemics. We were just based in the United States, and it was such a special time for my co-founder and I to develop the Kelp Burger, you know, and, and we did that with almost a thousand of our customers, which was awesome. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's been good to be grounded. We have traveled a bit since the pandemic started and. Um, I think the one thing I'm the most bummed about is we've brought on some really cool investors from Tokyo and Hong Kong and Singapore, and I haven't been able to go visit them and, you know, do all the cool culinary adventures in these cultures that have been eating seaweed for thousands of years. So when the pandemic's over, that'll definitely be my first trip. I was talking about this yesterday with my co-founder at Ocean Impact Org, uh, Nick Shirelli. And saying how it's, I mean, we, um, we engage a lot with philanthropists and, you know, the, the standard approach would generally have been you've got to go and press the skin and do those face-to-face -face meetings with investors, with philanthropists to, to seal that deal, to strengthen that relationship. But we were sort of reflecting on how remarkable it actually has been to facilitate deals um, without that face-to-face -face contact. Has that surprised you, the ability to go virtual and, and, uh, and make these transactions? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a real in-person type of person. Like I, I have infectious energy. I'm really excitable. And so like trying to get that across over Zoom is really hard. And we were fundraising at the very beginning of the pandemic. And I just was like, screw it. I give up. And so that's why we leaned into equity crowdfunding, which, you know, was just such an amazing platform to bring in money for Akua. And, you know, but we just finished another round of funding, um, our seed round. And I'd say, yeah, at least 75% of the investors that came in, I, I just did Zooms with them and I've never met them in person. So that's wild, especially when you're writing like a million dollar check to someone and you haven't spent a considerable amount of time in person with them. But yeah, I mean, we, we put out our personas online. I think those are even more important now and, and people are watching what we're doing on, on Instagram. And I think the business, you know, how it portrays itself online, like all these things are, are much more watched um, as a result of not being in person with some folks. Yeah, I get, I get the impression you do a pretty good job of, uh, of creating a digital persona. And you, you know, like I said before, your, your energy and enthusiasm is, is pretty intoxicating. So you're obviously doing a lot right. So. Let's go back a little bit. So opening up to our listeners, uh, just tell us, I guess, a little bit more about you and maybe where this, this sweet spot formed where you, you realised you could actually uh, make a positive impact on the ocean, on the climate, 
through Sea Greens? Yeah, you know, I've always, I, I was a, a woman born in the 80s, so I always wanted to be the Little Mermaid. And I was a professional swimmer, or at least in college. And I just, I've, you know, always loved the oceans. I'm a kite surfer. And, but I, you know, I didn't start Akua thinking I want to create a company around ocean impact. I was more general than that. I, I really wanted to create a food company that was, you know, providing healthy, convenient food for people in a time when, you know, I'm, I'm very angry with how our big food companies have, you know, just poisoned folks for, for lack of a better word. But I, I came across Sea Greens through a friend named Brendan Coffey. He's now our independent board director, which is really cool. And he introduced me to Green Wave, which is an amazing nonprofit that trains fishermen to grow kelp. And so I had always been eating seaweed. I love seaweed. And when I learned about the environmental benefits of growing it and the economic benefits for fishermen, I was like, wow, this is definitely going to be the base for the, for the food company I'm going to start. But it was, it was grounded in this idea of human health and planet health being so disconnected and wanting to, to make that connection and, um, and, and make better products for both. When you were sort of, you know, your mission, you said before, was, you know, was driven by a desire to create a, a food product that was, you know, going to right some of those wrongs. Could it have taken many different paths or was it once you sort of went down that first step and, and realized the potential of sea greens was that just like okay go this way or could it have gone other different ways yeah i mean it it was seaweed that made me really excited to begin with i remember i was doing experiments creating my own seaweed salads and my own seaweed soups and then this fact that i had access to this supply chain of kelp uh, just, you know, was, was obviously the business. I, I never did research into like mung beans or, or whatever else is, you know, a, a cool ingredient today. It was, it was always about the kelp. So let's talk about the kelp. So, you know, what is it about it that what, and, and why do we need to be eating more of it? Just give us your, your perspective on the wonders of sea greens and kelp. Yeah. So you know, kelp is a brown macroalgae and like fungi, algae is separate from plant and animal, which I always tell people because it kind of blows my mind just how little we incorporate an entire kingdom into our daily lives. And there's macroalgae and like kelp, and then there's microalgae like spirulina. And, you know, it all started with cyanobacteria, which is the bad stuff that creates red algae blooms and, and toxic water. So in similar to land-based plants, macroalgae develops through photosynthesis. And so it's one of the really cool parts about you know, kelp forest and it's in a natural ecosystem is that these are very powerful carbon sequestration tools. And so what we're doing with farming is essentially re, you know, planting a forest in the sea. And so you get these amazing carbon and nitrogen uh, decreasing benefits and that leads to deacidification. Um, kelp's super delicious, you know, it's, it's really high in fiber and vitamins and minerals, really high in iodine, which a lot of people are deficient in, um, really low in calorie. That iodine is also really important for cellular development, brain health. And something I tell all the ladies is, is it's amazing at boosting your metabolism, ladies or gentlemen. Um, it's just, it's, it's been amazing to see what some companies like supplement companies have done in positioning kelp as a weight loss tool. 
tell us a little bit more then about you know your supply chain and you know you mentioned before green wave and how that was the the impetus to to understand the opportunity around kelp so yeah tell us a little bit about your supply chain and your interaction with those who are actually out there growing the product yeah i mean green wave is just an amazing account to check out greenwave.org and they are on a mission to basically show and teach fishermen how to grow kelp in the ocean using the boats and the buoys that they already have, trying to make it really low cost to start up and, and really show them that they can earn anywhere between 25, 30. Some of these farmers are earning hundred grand a year off their kelp farms, which is amazing. And I was introduced you know, through Greenwave to a lot of different fishermen um, from basically Long Island up to Maine. We do source most of our kelp from Maine today. We work with an amazing group of farmers called the Salt Sisters. And, you know, for us, this is a, you know, once a year harvest, which is a big deal. So we plant in the fall, we harvest in the spring, and it's just, it was so cool. We were able to bring people up this harvest, you know, these gorgeous golden fronds growing off a rope in the water and it's just it's so beautiful we've we've got some amazing video out there we just had a documentary published on us called free thanks if you check that out you can see what the farms look like underwater which is totally wild i love that you're there actually eating it straight off the uh, frond as they're uh, filming that one help right out of the ocean so good i also like love oysters and i'm you know i'm a real seafood person love it so with the, with those teams of, of growers now, I'm assuming that there's increases in activity, increases in the supply. I mean, are they, is, the, is demand outweighing the supply? Like where is the, the market in that region that you're referring to? Yeah, unfortunately, it's the opposite. Um, demand is, is, is outpacing, uh, I'm sorry, supply is outpacing demand. Um, we have last year, more kelp than we know what to do with, especially because a lot of the kelp was being sold into restaurants and that stopped. Um, so our role at Akua is, is to make sure that, you know, are we run out of kelp someday? You know, the idea is to grow so much and to get people eating it, but we definitely have so many farmers interested in growing it and it grows so quickly. It's kind of like the sequoia of the sea. And yeah, we just don't have enough people eating it today. So that's exactly our job we've got our work cut out for us so let's use that as a stepping stone then to talking about your products and and the journey of a cure so obviously starting out with uh with kelp jerky and yeah what sort of when when was there it is there very cool um yeah understanding where the limitations were for the jerky and then thinking about what the next product iteration was and obviously culminating in the current product which is the kelp burgers yeah, so we launched Kelp Jerky on Earth Day, April 2019. And, you know, because I, before the pandemic was such a traveler, I really wanted to create a high protein plant-based snack that didn't have soy in it and was, you know, full of vitamins and minerals. And so Kelp Jerky was was for me. And, and it was just, we created too healthy of a product for like mainstream America. And so that was a really big learning for us is, you know, I think most jerky has a lot of sugar in it. This has zero added sugar. So it, it's a really like fibrous veggie snack. The other thing is this is a really hard snack to make. It's dehydrated. Every single piece of jerky comes out of a custom mold. And, you know, that's crazy. You need to make food that scales, right? And so we started working on the kelp burger in 
the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and we've been, you know, we launched in May, we've had a summer of selling it direct to consumer. And then at the end of this month, we're going to launch our two pack boxes in retail. We're going to be over in 70 stores in New York city, which is super exciting. That is so cool. So the rationale there was, you know, understanding the limitations of the jerky. Is there something there about, you know, volume and needing to take in more supply? Was it just that there's a booming trade in um, plant-based patties for burgers now? Like what really led you to say, this is what we need to be working on um, with the Kelp Burgers? Yeah, I mean, number one, when you're creating a food product, it can be as sustainable and healthy as you want, but it has to be delicious. And we were just not getting the great feedback on the jerky. It was people were saying things like, yeah, I mean, I eat it every day because it's so healthy for me, but I don't crave it. And that's a big <laughs> flag, uh, and I get it. And so with the burgers, we now have average scores of like a nine out of 10. People love the kelp burger. I feel so confident in sending it to people. People are like, you know, they just love it. It's their new favorite veggie burger. And so, you know, the product's what has enabled us to raise this cash. And, and now it's just about execution um, and, and, and team. Yeah, I think, you know, you can do so much with burgers. Like I've obviously watched a bunch of the clips out there of you making them or others making them. And I suppose it's just, uh, you never know where it's going to be interpreted by different chefs and different people. So the creativity in a burger is just astounding. Absolutely. You know, we really want to work with more chefs to get the word out there. Um, We've, you know, I'm starving actually. I'm just, I'm going over tonight to cook them for my friends. Like I just, I love the kelp burgers. And I think to your point, like not only is the burger like this symbol of, you know, kind of the, the, the summer burger BBQ, but also, you know, you eat burgers all throughout the year. It's, it's, it's a commonly eaten product. And then in terms of versatility, we're launching a 12 ounce pack and my favorite way to eat the kelp burgers is I break them up in a pan. I chuck in some one of my favorite tomato sauces, whatever veggies I have in the fridge, and I throw that over bonza pasta, which is like a chickpea pasta. And I make like a kelp burger bolognese. And I eat this like at least once a week. It's so good. Um, so there's, you know, you can do kelp burger tacos, pierogies. We've made falafels out of them. There's just, it's a lot of, lot of use cases for the, the product. That's cool. So yeah, right. So beyond the the burger patties, there'll just be a pack of it, almost like you'd imagine a mince, and you can then just disguise the limit and how you can interpret it. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, Beyond Meat has the twelve ounce pack, so it is impossible in you know on an annual basis these twelve ounce packs like outsell the patties because people are you know doing the patties in the summer and then throughout the year want the actual meat. What's it been like, uh, you know, good, bad, indifferent, like thrown in to that pool of these plant-based alternatives to, 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 to meat and burgers? And obviously that is a burgeoning industry and space to be occupying and playing in. But I think I've sort of seen maybe on some interviews, you know, some, I don't know, some hesitancy about what some of them are doing in the space and, you know, you obviously, yeah, just tell us a little bit about the competition, what it's like to be playing in this very, very burgeoning space of plant-based um, meats. Yeah, so traditionally there's been a lot of the bean and soy-based veggie burgers. You know, they're 
quite dry, thin, a little boring, and haven't really satiated someone who's going to like quit eating meat. And obviously Beyond Impossible come in and just banged on that door and really created like an amazing replica of like a meat burger. But my concern is that like they're creating uh, a false sense of belief that like, oh, it's plant-based, so it's healthy because Beyond Impossible are filled with lots of ingredients that are really not that great for you, but they need those kind of fake processed ingredients in order to mimic meat. Um, so, you know, great what they've been doing, but for me, again, like this, this mission with Akua has always been about health, right? And so not only are we able to really deliver on sustainability and animal rights, but like we're delivering on a product that you can pronounce all the ingredients and it's super healthy for you. That said, it doesn't mimic meat. So you're not going to eat a kelp burger and be like, oh, I don't know, is that cow? Like it's definitely not, but it's more satiating and delicious because of that umami taste profile than any other vegan burger on the market. So, you know, the, the, the tagline is like, you know, no one misses the meat. Right. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's amazing. And we're looking at ways to make it a little more meaty, like raising a beet juice to make it more red and, give people even closer to that experience, but, but in an all natural way. Mm, yeah. It's a lot of questions I want to go into there in terms of you know, that product development side of things. I think I saw on your LinkedIn, you know, looking for people in food science and it must just be a really exciting space. But the next point I had down was to actually talk about crowdfunding mm. um, because this is something that obviously you've executed uh, with success, but also then, you know, you've relayed your experiences really openly on, on written forums and things. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about your experience with crowdfunding from start to obviously the most recent one. Yeah, you know, I'm transparent to a fault about everything. I am the first to admit that I'm not perfect and I make tons of mistakes and I'm learning as I go. And I think with our crowdfunding campaign, you know, we did a Kickstarter in 2018 that we did relatively well on. We raised about 70 grand, which for a food company at the time was pretty good. And I just got all these emails from people being like, oh, can you hop on a call with my cousin's wife's friend in Dubai? And I'm like, no, I don't have time to like hop on 20 minute how to Kickstarter calls. So I did a written piece that had all my tips in it, almost all my tips in it. And um, there were a couple that were really hacky that I couldn't put in. But with Republic, there was nothing hacky. I put everything just completely in. I did the same thing because it was getting to the point where almost once a day I was getting an email from someone who wanted to get on a call about how to launch on Republic. But yeah, so we, you know, I mentioned it was really hard to fundraise during the pandemic. Um, the Republic team reached out. They're awesome. And they were like, you know, we're seeing amazing traction because people are sitting on their computers and like, you know, a lot of people made a lot of money last year. Obviously, obviously a lot of people lost a lot of money last year. So it's tough. But you know, people are, they're seeing these funding amounts get bigger and bigger. And so I was like, you know, I'm, I was a journalist. I understand content creation. I was a community builder and I understand that. And I really wanted to get, you know, our story on this platform. And I remember thinking if we can raise 300 K, you know, we'll have, we'll have really been successful. And we ended up raising, you know, to the million dollar cap in a six month period, which was just a dream. And it was, you know, could not have been more successful. Um, and yeah, we learned a lot of them along the way, but that transparency was super important. You know, I remember some jerk got on and was like, 
I had the kelp burger. I didn't like it. And so we were still in secret beta mode at this point. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Here's the link before the campaign ends. Anyone who wants to try it, try it, you know? And so like, you know, we had our biggest sales day, which was great. All these people bought it. People came back up to their investment amounts, got their friends involved. Like it was amazing. And I'm, I'm so glad I did that. But yeah, it was, it was, you know, just learning after learning with that campaign. Mm, fantastic. And so obviously there's probably people going to be listening to this podcast um, who are thinking, yeah, I'll just go and do that too. Like it's obviously got a big amount of flashy lights around it, crowdfunding yeah. and equity crowdfunding, but maybe just give us you know, the top one, two or three little things just to be really alert to before you even take those first steps in, in thinking of a campaign. Yeah. So first off, I get a referral fee for introducing anyone to their public team. So uh, happy to do that. <laughs> but yeah, we, um, you know, we've, we've looked at like why we were successful. I think number one is, um, and there was actually a New York Times article about this or, or Wall Street Journal, but it was like, have a product that's in development because it gives people a sense of like creation with you and being a part of something that's about to launch. So that was huge. I think if like the kelp burger was already in stores, like it wouldn't have had the same buildup. And then two is just like, you know, we had a really strong email list. We had about 40,000 people on our email list. We have a, you know, a very strong community. Um, we've done a lot of events when we could. And I think, you know, launching to a, and having done the Kickstarter. So like launching to a core community was also incredibly important. And then this is in the piece I wrote, but um, those updates, just being super transparent, spending hours answering the, even the dumbest questions and the best questions. And, and, and I love stuff like that because I, I love customer service. I love talking to people. Some founders, like that's their worst nightmare. They just want to build their businesses. So it's not for everybody. Um, but that's the kind of thing that, that I really enjoy. Mm. There you go, guys. And obviously, yeah, definitely go and read those articles that, CBM has penned. Yeah, it's part so, of a public campaign. It's on Medium. And I, I literally wrote everything in it. I don't think I missed a, <laughs> a tip. <laughs> Good stuff. Let's talk a little bit more, I guess, about your sort of startup and entrepreneurial journey. You know, this transparency is really refreshing. The, the, fe the recent feature you mentioned before, you know, you come out with some real truth bombs about some, uh, some mistakes that have been made along the way. So, yeah, maybe just tell us a little bit more about your startup journey, what it's like now to be founder and CEO of um, such a progressive food company. Um, and we can sort of round this out with some, some hints and tips for people out there who are maybe earlier in their, in their startup journey. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to like understand a timeline here too. Like we, we are just taking salaries as founders this month and we congratulations. Been, thank you. Huge. <laughs> We've been working on the business since 2017. So it wasn't like full-time in 17 and 18. It became, you know, really full-time kind of probably in 2019 when we launched Kelp Jerky. But yeah, it's, it's so hard starting a business. And then it's, what's really hard is you watch other companies that look like they come out of nowhere. And like six months later, they're doing like crazy run rates. And then like a year later, they get bought. Like <laughs> that's so rare, even if it feels like that's your whole LinkedIn feed. And so, you know, I, I really have had to try hard to like not let those things get me down. And, and just, I think one of the, you know, we're not successful yet by any means, you know, we haven't broken our revenue goals that we need to hit. And I think 
you know, when we do, even then it's like, you know, I, it's, it's perseverance. that's going to keep getting you around each corner. And, um, and being a founder is about just constantly dealing with fuck ups, you know, and, and how you deal with that. Like I sent emails this morning to someone and my COO called me and he's like, you were a bit unhinged (laughs) and I'm like a really nice person, but like someone really messed up and I was upset and it's, you know, and then what I said to him and I was like, great, I'm bad cop, go be good cop, you know, and, and it's just always about finding that balance. And I think the number one thing that I've learned through all those fuck ups is just like, I've never regretted like vetting someone or a service, like to the full extent doing due diligence. Cause like everybody's going to tell you that they're the best at email marketing or at this, or, you know, like packaging design and branding. And like, you know, they, they might be good for some people, but they might not be good for you. And so just like spend that time really deeply thinking about the people, the talent and the energy that like you're bringing into your business. Like that's literally your baby. And, and I, you know, anytime I'm not as protective as I wish I had been, that's like when fuck ups happen. Yeah, no, the, the words of my co-founder uh, are ringing in my ears too. And, you know, looking because in those early days, you're stretched and, and you do want to outsource some really important tasks and components, but yeah. it was always, no one can do it like we can do it. You know, yeah. we are the founders. We're so invested in this. It's our blood. It's in our DNA. Just think twice before you go and externalize some of those things. No, it's, it's a hundred percent true. And that's, but that's the challenge in scaling a business is like, you know, it can't just be you and your co-founder doing all the work. Right. And so you have to bring people in that you trust and set up systems of checks and balances. And like, you know, when I was starting the company a couple of years ago, like this role of CEO, like didn't really mean anything. You know, I was like a founder, I was raising money, but I was doing so much. And now because my job is 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 hiring and putting those systems in place for scaling i i do actually feel like oh yeah i am a ceo now like i'm I'm owning that title beyond just like fundraising and being a face of a business but and it's hard i don't know how to do it i mean i'm a crazy audible like listener i crush books so like right now i'm listening to um brene brown dare to lead and yeah i totally did not follow her advice thinking back on this email i sent this morning (laughs) but i guess in some I was very vulnerable in the email and shared how upset I was, but uh, probably not exactly a, a Brene Brown approved um, chain of emails. But anyway, I, I think she's great. And I think reading books, you know, that help you balance out like what we all think of CEOs, like, you know, the kind of like Travis Kanalik, like Uber CEO, like, <laughs> there's a lot of like people out there who've done really big businesses and haven't been the nicest people. Um, so my journey is trying to find out like how to still be a really nice person and build a big business. I'm sure you'll absolutely get there. So tell us a little bit about sort of where, where you're at now with Akua, uh, and and what the future is sort of looking like. Yeah. So we're like weeks away from our retail launch. So these boxes are going to be in the freezer section of over 70 stores in New York, and then we'll tackle Los Angeles and San Francisco, Um, we are direct to consumer for the rest of the country. So anyone can buy our products. Um, 
obviously the two pack is a lot easier to trial than a 12 pack, which is what we sell on our website. So we're trying to get into restaurants now that, you know, like unemployment's over in the States. And I think more people are going to be looking for jobs. <laughs> and so restaurants, I think are going to have an easier time with staffing. So that's been really hard for them the past six months. So we're going to be potentially in every major city in the United States and at least one restaurant. And my goal is to have us in restaurants where you can, you know, walk in and walk out and under 10 bucks, you know, try a kelp burger. And then you can love it and try it to buy it online and or buy it online. Um, and eventually, you know, next year we, we will be rolled out in national grocery, which is going to be great. But supporting that is insane. You know, for those people getting into retail, they know it's, it's, it's sales teams, it's brokers, it's merchandisers, it's distributors, it's sampling teams. I mean, it's a multi-layered system for basically like extremely small margins on a, on a business, but we love what we do. And, you know, we're just very excited to, you know, make help the next big thing in food. And I'm excited too. And obviously looking forward to the day when you cross the Pacific and we find it on our shelves in Australia and other parts of the world, which I'm sure is uh, in the charts for the future. It definitely is. I mean, you guys have great kelp over there. And so I think, you know, we'll start watching and for the ocean farming to kick off. And we're, we're you know, I think the, the difference between a Kua being, you know, a, a big brand and a, and a huge brand is, is what we do globally and especially Asia, where we don't have to educate people on eating seaweed. <laughs> like that's like a huge part of our business that we don't need to spend money on and then it's just kind of like showing them in this full form factor kelp burger so i'm i'm excited to get over to tokyo and and, and do pop-ups over the next couple of years um and of course all of our future products like so after the kelp burger we're going to be doing a, a kelp vegan crab cake which is going to be awesome and something that we are excited to launch next summer I'll tell you what, you know, we're in the middle of our second Ocean Impact Pitch Fest uh, and there is a lot of applicants coming in from seaweed related projects. I just saw the Sustainable Ocean Alliance, um, Ocean Solutions Accelerator, a number of seaweed um, startups involved with that one too. Every time we talk about seaweed projects at Ocean Impact Organisation, our community goes mad for it. So it's got a rich future. It's just um, there's obviously still plenty of, of barriers to overcome to, to get things to scale, particularly in those markets where you do have to have a big exercise in engaging and educating the public uh, to start consuming more of it. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm happy to hear that. You know, I think um, Australia is going to be a big market for us. So we'll, we'll get over there too. And, you know, the, the more people helping this industry, the better, because, you know, there's so many inefficiencies that still make it very expensive. Like our kelp burgers, you know, they're about four bucks a patty and the majority of that cost is coming from our kelp because it's still expensive to grow. It's expensive to process, it's expensive to ship. So you're going to see so many efficiencies when more people are in the industry that'll, that'll help bring costs down. And, and that's really the big goal with food, right? Is making healthy food affordable. Um, so exciting, exciting to hear that you're seeing that with the ocean impact community. And, um, we love sustainable ocean Alliance. They, they just invested in our latest round. So we're, 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 yeah, they're our best friends. <laughs> yeah. It's such an amazing community. I mean, I'm only, uh, a relative newbie to the ocean innovation global community a couple of years in, um, having been so embedded in the plastic pollution community, um, which obviously is, you know, yeah. it's parallel, but 
I just every day going to work, running these podcasts is just a joy because I just have a spring in my step with this inspiration that percolates everything. Yeah, I hear you. Anything else you'd like to talk about before we wrap things up? Some subject areas that we haven't touched on yet. Um, and, and if not, you can sort of round out with some um, tips on where people can find out more and follow the journey. Yeah, you know, I'm just so excited. Anyone in the United States that is listening, you can all type it in. But, you know, we've got um, a sweet discount code. You can use all capital, Akua Love, and that's 20% off. Um, we are, you know, that's our that's our, our our friends and family code. Try the kelp burgers. Let us know what you think. Um, we've got a lot of updates coming over the next few months, so definitely stay tuned. Um, and and yeah, follow follow Life of Cool on Instagram. <laughs> awesome. We'll add the code with your permission when the podcast goes out in a couple of weeks' time. And yeah, congratulations on the journey so far. And we'll certainly be watching with interest as as it continues. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. See you later, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.